The scripture reading is from Acts 9, verses 36 to 42. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in high school, I had a job, you know, a summer after school job, working on the grounds crew that maintained a cemetery near where I grew up in New Jersey. And there were parts of this cemetery that were, that were pretty old, you know, tombstones from early 1800s. And then there were also parts of the cemetery that were new, sections where people were, were still being buried. So I, I worked among these graves of various ages. And one thing I observed working in a cemetery is that it is pretty rare to find a grave more than 10 years old that has flowers on it that people are still visiting, which is it's kind of a disappointing thought because I, I like to think that, you know, when I'm gone, people will miss me so much. They'll be coming every week with a fresh bouquet of, of, of flowers forever, but it's, uh, it's usually not like that, you know? People move on. And that's, uh, that is a sobering thought because I, I don't know if you're like me, but here's the way I feel. It feels to me that every detail of my life right now is very, very important. Just feels that way, right? I mean, the, the, the problems that, uh, that I'm facing are important problems. The, the goals I've set are important goals. The, the bills I have to pay, places I want to go, the arguments I would like to, to win, they're all very, very important. That's, that's the way it feels right now. But I, I think we all know that the, the truth, the truth is that uh, most of the things that seem so important to us right now, when, uh, you know, when we reach the end of our limited time here, they really won't matter that much at all. They won't matter to us. They won't, they won't matter to anyone. So the question is, <laughs> what, what will matter? You know, when we reach the end of our time, what, what is it that will truly be important? 
Well, um, the passage that Sonny just read to us points, points to two, two things, at least two things, all right, that will really, really matter when we come to the end. And one of, the, one of these things is this. Listen, it will matter that we have loved others. It, it, will, it will matter. Now, the event that's described in this passage, this took place probably five or, or, or to seven years after the resurrection of Christ. It happened in this town called Joppa, which to, today it's been kind of absorbed by the big city of, of Tel Aviv. It's right there on the Mediterranean coast in, in uh, Palestine or Israel. And, and th this event involved a woman named Tabitha, okay? And we really don't know much about Tabitha. I mean, we know that she had two names, all right? Her, her Aramaic name was Tabitha. Her, um, her Greek name was Dorcas, so she kind of lived in two different cultures, and some of you know what that's like. You have two names. You have the, well, the Korean name or the Greek name or, or the Chinese name that your parents gave you when you were born, and then you have the, the American name that people don't mispronounce, right? You, th that's how she was. She lived in two, two different cultures, so she had two different names, and other than that, we really don't know any details about her. Was, was, was Tabitha a wealthy woman? We don't know. Was she a beautiful, physically attractive woman? We don't know. Was she married? Did she have children? Did, was, was she one of those people who just had the family of her dreams? It doesn't say. What about her abilities? Was she an educated woman? Was she a talented woman? Did, did Tabitha possess powerful spiritual gifts that made her influential in her church? We have no idea. In fact, we see here in this passage that when Tabitha died, no one was talking about any of those things at all. The things, the things that we think are so important, appearance, possession, ability, accomplishment, no one was even talking about it. And listen, do you know that's the way it will be for you? At, 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 at your funeral, listen, at your funeral, no one will care what your GPA was in college. No one. At your funeral, no one will care that you got that final promotion at work, that last rung of the ladder that you climbed. No one will care. No one will care that you went to the gym five times a week and you had great abs, right? They won't talk about that. They didn't talk about that when, when, when Tabitha died. Listen, I think you know, we all know this. Um, the only thing that will matter to the people you leave behind is did you or did you not love them? It's the only thing they'll care about. See, it's the only thing people talked about when Tabitha died. Is that, you know, these widows gathered around Peter showing, showing him the, the, the robes and, and, and the different clothing that Tabitha had, had made for them. And just with every item of clothing they held up, they were just saying, she loved us. She loved us. She loved us. We don't care if we, she was rich. We don't care if she was beautiful. It doesn't matter. This is someone who loved us. That's all that mattered. 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. Today he would say, I, I, I am, if, I, if, I, I am, if I don't have love, no matter how eloquent I am, if I don't have love, I am your neighbor's car alarm that won't stop beeping. I'm an obnoxious noise if I don't have love. 
He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I, have, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. He said, if I give all I possess to the poor and give, give over my body to hardship that I may boast. He said, but if I do not have love, I gain nothing. So listen, I, it's good to be reminded of this once in a while. Tabitha reminds us of this. When we reach the end of our days, the only thing that will matter did we love others? And, and not, not just any others, okay? Not just any others. So someone, someone might tell you, you know, I am a very, very loving person. Ask my family. Ask my friends. All right? Yeah, listen, big deal. Everyone loves their family and friends. Tony, Tony Soprano loved his family, right? doesn't mean anything. Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. See, see, th this, is, this is worth remembering because what, here's what Jesus told us. He said that in the eyes of God, when we reach the end of our days, the only kind of love that will matter to God is, is our love for th those people that Jesus called the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Do, do you know that passage? Luke, uh, Matthew 25, here's what Jesus said. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, the king will say, come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. He said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, these, these, these believers of mine who were hurting and broken and alienated and marginalized, what you did for, for them, he said, you did that for me. Now, what, what intrigues me when I think about this woman, Tabitha, um, is that Tabitha, if you just look at the timeline, she would have been alive during the days of the ministry of public ministry of Christ, living in this basically the same region of the world where Jesus publicly ministered. So that means it's, we don't know, but it's very possible Tabitha, what might have been among the, the crowds of people who heard Jesus teach. Wouldn't that have been something to have heard Jesus teach? She might have been one of those people. And, and, and if, if that's the case, I wonder if she was present that day to hear him teach that parable from Matthew 25 where he said, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Here's why I wonder that. Be because when she passed away, it, it wasn't just her family members who were crying. It, w it wasn't just her friends. In, in fact, the ones who were, um, whose presence was most notable at her passing, it says, were the widows. And, and if, if you know... Uh, first century culture, the widows. The widows were the poorest, the, the, the least powerful, and the most vulnerable members of their society. And she had invested her love in them. Um, it, it says in verse 36, Tabitha was always doing good and helping the poor. Here's what, um, there was this old Puritan Bible commentator named Matthew Henry. Here's, here's what he observed about Tabitha. He, he said this. He said, Tabitha was a disciple, 
one that had embraced the faith of Christ and was baptized. And not only so, but she was eminent above many for her works of charity. She showed her faith by her works, her good works, and she was full of uh, the, the work she was full of and in which she abounded. Her head was full of ideas about how she could do good. She made a business of doing good. She was full of good works, like a tree that is full of fruit. And, and then he wrote this. He wrote, many are full of good words, but they are empty and barren of good works. But Tabitha was a great doer, not just a great talker. She was remarkable for her works of charity flowing from love to her neighbor. She was always doing good, helping the poor. And so, listen, um, wouldn't it be wonderful if that's what's said about you when your life is done? When somebody looks back and remembers you. Like, I, I don't remember, really remember much about her or him, but I just remember he was everywhere he went was helping people who were in need. That's, that's what was said about her. Martin Luther, King, Martin Luther King said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? So, uh, when we die, a lot of things that you're probably worried about today, things perhaps you lost sleep over uh, this week, things that maybe you're angry about this morning. Listen, most of them won't matter. It will matter that you've loved. First Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It never dishonors others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So, what will matter at the end? Um, first, did you love? Second, will you live? Will you live again? That'll, that'll be important. Will, will, the, will the grave be the end for you? You see, the, the, uh, the dominant narrative that, that uh, kind of shapes our culture is, um, is a philosophy that many would call um, naturalistic materialism, all right? And, and you, you've probably never heard, maybe, maybe you've never heard those words, but you have felt the impact of that, that worldview. It shapes everything that, that informs us in our culture. And this is, this is the philosophy that, that says that the material world, all right, those things that, that you can measure and touch and, and, and analyze scientifically, the material world is all there is. That's it. The material world. And so the universe we live in is just nothing but the, uh, the, the meaningless result of, of an unplanned explosion that happened by chance. And you and I are nothing but a random collection of molecules that came together by accident for no reason and, and that will someday break apart and just cease to exist. And in other words, um, after death, there's nothing. Tim, Tim Keller once in a sermon explained the logical ex uh, uh, conclusion 
of holding that worldview. And a lot of people who hold that worldview never think it through. But he said, here's the logical conclusion of that. He said, if, if there's nothing after death, then nothing I do here will matter. After I die, other people will remember me for a while, but eventually they will die, and nobody will remember. And eventually the sun will die, and everything will be wiped out, and nothing you have done, whether good or bad, will make any final difference. Here's the way the Apostle Paul described the implication of that worldview. 1 Corinthians 15, he said, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So that's, if you think it through, the logical conclusion of just assuming this is all there is. But what if this isn't all there is? What if there's a possibility of a life beyond this life? What if, what if someone actually conquered the grave? This passage is in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, you probably know, it tells, it's an account of um, the lives and the actions of the early disciples of Jesus in the years after his resurrection. And, and, uh, and the book of Acts begins with a very, very bold declaration. This declaration shapes everything else that happens in this book. The book of Acts begins with a, a declaration that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's alive. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 1 says, Jesus presented himself to his disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them, it says, over a period of 40 days. He was alive. Then you read, he ascended, he ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit descended on the church. And then as you read this book of Acts, you, you read how these followers of Jesus, these very first men and women who followed him, how they began to live out their lives in this world. And when you read about how the, they lived, the way they lived their lives was just astonishing. It, it, it's almost inexplicable. They lived with this kind of freedom and, and joy. They lived with a boldness and confidence. They lived lives of radical generosity. They lived as if they thought they had nothing to fear. Nothing. Now, why did they live that way? Because they, they had this, um, this gripping conviction that their Savior had conquered the grave. They didn't fear death anymore. And listen, if you don't fear death, which is kind of the great equalizer, the great, it just makes everything meaningless. You don't fear that anymore. You don't, you don't have to fear anything. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, um, the Apostle Paul explained the line of reasoning that led these early Christians to live that way. Here's what he said at Romans 8, 11. He said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. In other words, he, he's saying this. Listen, if God raised Jesus from the dead and God loved me enough to put his spirit in me, he's going to raise me from the dead. 
And I don't have to worry about that. I, too, will rise. And so this was the conviction that gripped their lives, and it just empowered them to live. Um, they lived in ways that, that people did a double take. Like, what? Why, why are you living that way? Just, it changed them. So don't you ever wonder, what, what would it look like if that conviction, that we have a living Savior, just more and more, like, really took hold of you? How, how might that change the way you live? Well, in the passage, uh, to wrap it up, there, there's, this, there's an amazing miracle that takes place, right? You, and you know the story. Uh, this woman, Tabitha, dies. They prepare the body, and they run off to get the apostle, Peter. He shows up, and um, every, everyone's sad, and, he, and he, he asks them to leave the room, and he prays for this woman. And miraculously, her life is restored. And, and would you agree? That's an amazing miracle. And, and someone might ask, can God... Can God really do stuff like that? Yes, God can, all right? I, there's no reason he can't. Uh, but but we, should, we should remember that um, miracles of that kind are rare. Even in the Bible, they're rare. There's only like uh, three recorded times in the Gospels where Jesus raised someone from the dead. It only happened a couple of times in the book of Acts, so it doesn't, it doesn't happen often. And um, e- even in the people in the Bible who, who died and then they were resuscitated and they came back to life, even they eventually grew old and they they died again, right? But one, um, one Bible commentator I was looking at this week made an observation that I think is so important to, to think about. This commentator wrote, every resurrection story described in the Bible pictures our future. So believer in Christ, every time you, you read a story like the story of, of Tabitha, story of Lazarus, the, 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 uh, the story of the, the widow of Nain and her son that was raised, every time you read one of these stories, God is giving you a glimpse, a, a little glimpse of what one day will happen for you, what God will do for you. And I know it's, it's, it's mind-boggling even to try to contemplate this. I can't, I can't picture exactly what it will be like. Here's the way it's described in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says this, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. So... <laughs> What did you lose sleep over this week? What, what have you been struggling not to think about during my sermon? You just keep like daydreaming about something more, something more important than this guy blabbing up here. What, 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 what is it that you're, you're angry about today? You've got to get your way on this. What, what is it that has you worried? I hope I don't offend you. I'm not trying to be dismissive of your concerns. None of those things matter. None of them matter. If when the Lord returns, you're not found to be in Christ. None of them. And if you are found to be in Christ, none of those things should cause you any worry at all right now. Amen. You see, when, when he, oh man, when he comes back, we, we saw that earlier in that passage that Sonny read for us. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's symbolic language. I don't think Jesus is, you know, with a tissue up there in heaven going from person to person. It's just, it's, it's a symbolic metaphor of saying, listen, 
every hurt, every wound healed, every, every fear gone, every, every disability no longer existent, all of the problems set right again in this world. That's what Jesus will do for us. And, and, and if, if, if when he returns, you are found to be in him, you will live with him. What do I mean, be in him? Let me just say it this way. Are you, are you trusting Jesus? Are you following Jesus? If you are, you're in him right now. If you're not, here's the good news. If you're not trusting and following Jesus, you don't have to take like a three-year course to qualify for that. You could start trusting him today. Just say, I want to follow you. His arms will be open wide to receive you. And if, and if you are trusting him, my brother, my sister, listen, listen. You have nothing to fear. You will live forever with him. Let his spirit fill you so that the main thing you do with the rest of your life is love others. Amen? Let's pray. We, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would make the message of a living Savior real to every one of us, that you would apply that truth to whatever is the need of our heart today, that we would respond to the Spirit's uh, prompting with humility and obedience and faith and joy, and that we would know the power of the resurrection in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.